hold it and repeat. Podcasting doesn't have to be hard or time-consuming. In fact, it can actually be the most efficient way to build true connection with your audience. For the first time ever, I'm hosting a free podcasting training to show you exactly how the Peers Project creates successful podcasts for some of Australia's most progressive brands. So in this training, I'm revealing our simple six-step process to creating an engaging podcast from scratch and how to launch your podcast to a hungry audience. Your time is valuable, peers, which is why I'm also revealing all of the secrets and time-saving hacks you'll need to produce your own podcast without the stress. It's time to make 2020 the year you launch your podcast to the world. So head straight to the link in this episode's description and sign up now for our free podcasting training. Now let's get into this episode. This is the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by The Peers Project. Hello, peers. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akitanor, founder of The Peers Project, millennial entrepreneur, world traveler, podcast expert, and forever your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite inspiring millennial entrepreneurs from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer-to-peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. Don't underestimate the power of a little self-love, peers. In fact, a dash of self-care can be the key to achieving all of our goals and so much more. I'm thrilled to welcome Lara Vandenberg onto the show today. Lara is the co-founder and CEO of Publicist, an online marketplace that connects premium PR and marketing talent with companies and brands. In 2019, Lara was honoured on the Forbes 30 Under 30 list for her amazing work in the PR industry. So in today's episode, Lara and I go deep and we talk about how we can take small steps towards self-love, how we can figure out our passion and how we can gain the confidence to stretch our goals to new heights. For those of you who haven't yet, make sure to take a screenshot of this episode right now, post it to your Instagram story and tag us at the Peers Project, so that other peers out there can benefit from the wisdom of these incredible millennial entrepreneurs. Okay, without further ado, here is my conversation with the amazing Lara Vandenberg. Lara. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you. Thank you. It's awesome to be here. Awesome. So, you know, you and I connected over LinkedIn, I think it was about a year ago now. And, you know, when I looked into you and all of the amazing work that you're doing in the, you know, PR and tech space, I knew I had to have you come on the show. So I really appreciate you taking the time. I know it's taken us about a year, but I'm so happy that I'm finally in Australia and and we were able to do this. So thanks. Thank you for having me. Of course. 
awesome. So, you know, for those of us who don't know who you are and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself. My name is Lara Vandenberg and I'm the CEO and founder of Publicist. Publicist is an online marketplace that connects premium PR and marketing talent with brands or agencies or individuals, anyone that's really looking to hire um, for communications project-based work. I'm from Sydney, um, but as you mentioned, I've lived in the US for coming up to eight years now. And when I when I moved over in 2013, I had a couple of years of experience under my belt. I started my career on the PR and marketing agency side in Australia. And then uh, when I went over, I joined Westfield, uh, which was an amazing kind of extension of, it was like this Australian family. Um, I moved over at 21. I didn't really know anyone. I didn't have a visa. And so landing with Westfield was an amazing kind of landing pad into the US. And so from there, I ran comms and marketing for a few um, few tech startups and a beauty startup and then finally um, went out on my own about a year ago now. Oh, I just love it. It's, you know, reading about your story and then just hearing it back now. It's just so, it's so cool to hear. And I think definitely that piece around the moving to, to New York and to the US, you know, at such a young age, which I can't wait to dive a bit deeper into. But I guess I'd love to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing. And that is, what did your parents do? And how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and your career so far? Uh, that is such a great question. And I'll start with my mum. So she is uh, still a flight attendant with Qantas and she's actually been there for 35 years. And so very intrinsically, she has this curiosity about her and it's curiosity of travel, kind of an intellectual curiosity. And she just absolutely kind of loves it and, you know, loves meeting new people and opportunities and whatever it may be. And then my dad, he is in the PR space. And so I had from a very young age, a, this incredible upbringing where I was incredibly exposed to media and communications and PR and how the industry has, has changed immensely from, you know, from when I was young to, you know, when I was at university and then from university to now. And so I didn't realize at the time that I was incredibly, incredibly exposed to, I almost had a university degree by the time I'd finished high school, just by way of, you know, being uh, privy to conversations where um, a journalist was speaking to dad over loudspeaker or someone was pitching a story or whatever it may be. And so I joke that at age 11, dad had me kind of handwriting press releases as he'd pace up and down a room, just like yelling them out to me. So um, that's mom and dad. So yeah. I love that. It's so I love asking that question because I find it so interesting kind of how our parents and what they've done have played a role in in kind of us and and our upbringing and also, I guess, yeah, what we end up doing. But I love that your dad was in, I'm not surprised. It makes a lot of sense because you've progressed so quickly. You know, you're still so young and everything you've done in this space. So I guess just on to that kind of Digging a bit deeper into your childhood, what did you love to do? You know, did you love kind of hanging around your dad, doing that kind of PR stuff, or were you more outdoorsy and sportsy? Like, who was, tell us about Lara the early years. I, that's such a good question. I was really sporty. That was kind of um, my thing. And through school, I was, I went to a really high achieving girls' school in Sydney. 
And I was always the person that would like just try and do the minimum to pass and get good marks. And so I remember when I was in year nine or year 10, I actually made a petition and tried to have the entire school sign this petition that said that we had too much homework. So I was always a little bit of like a a fixer, try to try to navigate the rules a little bit. But yeah, it was really outdoorsy, Um, have a younger brother. So we were kind of always just like around the neighborhood. But I also started work really, really young. I think when I was 14 and could get a job, um, I was pushed out the door to to get part-time work. So have always, yeah, has work, I've had a really strong work ethic for since almost day one. So interesting. I love that. Amazing. And so although you, you know, you said you didn't study very much, you ended up getting into UNSW. And I think you did a Bachelor of Media and Comms, which is no surprise there. But I guess when it came to that time, you know, to head into uni and and to really kind of get that that professional education or what whatnot, you know, what was you know, what kind of led you to do that? And then also what was your time at uni like? Like talk to us a bit, a little bit about that. So exactly. I went to uh, UNSW and I did a combined degree. So I did uh, a Bachelor of Media and Communications and a Bachelor of International Business. And university for me was was wonderful, but I actually worked full time at the same time in getting this degree. And so my experience is probably very different to a lot of other people that really immerse themselves in culture and meet new friends. And sadly, it just that wasn't me. I was trying to take as many night classes and holiday semesters as possible so I could have have experience. And so I, yes, yeah, started with, with PR agencies. I actually, before that, was the fashion assistant at Woman's Day magazine when it was owned by ACP prior to having been sold by Bauer. And so that was kind of all through university. And so I wish I could talk more to having this like great, college experience but that just was not not my experience at all Mm. what do you think was the driver behind that you know I think so many of us think of college or uni and we just think oh my goodness it's the time to let our hair down you know we've studied so hard for so many years to get into these degrees but for you it seemed like almost the opposite it was like let's just do this and get into the real world where do you think that comes from for you uh I probably uh, being around my dad and just seeing the world that was out there. Um, and I think a lot of people kind of need university and college to to see that. But I think that why people love university and college so much is they seek these communities and it's an amazing community to find out who you are and what you're looking for and what your interests are. And for me, that was just a little bit expedited without even knowing that I did not know what side of communications and marketing I was going to be in, but there was never anything else for me. So I think I, I don't know if maybe unfortunately skipped a few of those years, just, just knowing that I didn't know which side of the industry I was going to be on, but it was never going to be anything else. I love that. It's, it's, it's so cool to, yeah, I just think it's, it's quite rare that we know exactly what it is, but when we do, it's so cool that you were able to go, you know, let's just, you know what, let's just do it and let's just put out like my whole self into this. So not long after, as you mentioned earlier, you kind of decided to head straight to the US. So as you mentioned, you were 21 and you made that move to MIC, you know, talk to us about the decision to make that. Where were you at? What headspace were you in? And what were those kind of early years like 
you know, living and, and working in a completely different country, new city? Yeah. So moving to, moving anywhere at 21, I kind of look back now and I'm like, that is a really strong and bold move, but it was almost the complete opposite. So at the time when you're 21, you have a lot less to lose. You don't have a family or a mortgage or it's just kind of a plane ticket and you know what you need to do. And if it doesn't work, then what's the worst that can happen? You you know, maybe fly home and need to move in with your parents for a little bit. And so it's a, you know, it's a much uh, shorter fall to the ground. And so when I moved over, I was just so starry eyed to be in that city that is not the same at the moment, but I think will recover very, very soon and will be magic when it does. But I was just so willing to get over there and get you know, get my hands dirty. And I was really quickly offered a role with, with Westfield. And I took it because um, I probably could have waited a few more months and had something that was a little more specific or senior or whatever it was, but I was so excited to be there and learn. And the opportunity was amazing and has worked out really well in my, my trajectory. I love that. You know, I think you put New York so well, it's just kind of that city of of lights and of almost of opportunity, you know, and I think for many of us, I mean, all over the world, but especially us Aussies, I think we've got this kind of thought around New York. You know, can you talk to us a little bit about maybe the dark side to New York or the struggle that you maybe faced kind of new city so young when you got there? Yeah, I think that New York can be an incredibly lonely city. Um, and I think the longer that you're there for and the better your relationship actually becomes with the city, you need to learn a lot about self-love and being in a relationship with yourself. Because even if it's, you know, the walk to work every day or on the subway, it's just the city that people have their head down to kind of work and live and be. And so you're forced, and it's quite a beautiful thing that you're forced, or for me anyway, you're forced into this relationship with yourself. And so I think that is perhaps a dark or a scary thing for a lot of people, but it has its silver linings. And the other thing, it's a really hard city to, if you're an introvert, because um, especially not knowing anyone, and I think it's, you know, hard to make friends and make communities anywhere, let alone, you know, moving and, and trying to create something somewhere new. So you're forced to, whether you like it or not, to be a yes person, to really seize opportunities. And I am, I think I'm a good mix of an extrovert and an introvert. And so I love people and that's where my extrovert self comes in, but still I'm happy to be alone. And so you kind of need to play into your strengths and you learn a lot about yourself sorry, you learn a lot about yourself. And the other hard thing about New York is it's a really, really tough city. And as I mentioned, I'm in Australia at the moment. We've been back for three months now, just kind of taking a break with everything that's going on around COVID-19. But you live in New York for a couple of reasons. You live there because the work opportunity is so phenomenal. And then the culture of the city, it's a melting pot, the food, the bars, the everything. It's wonderful. But when you take a step back, it is not near nature. So right now people aren't taking in-person meetings. Um, you can't go to these restaurants or broadways or shows. And so it's it's a really hard city because it's it's a concrete jungle. And so, yeah, that's why we've come back for, for a few months. But there's lots of wonder about it as well. I love how you, oh, all of that was amazing, but I love how you pinpointed the thing around self-love. You know, I think 
you know, so many of our peers out there listening probably will be able to relate to that a lot around how can we get you know, almost build that relationship with ourselves and really kind of just grow to, I mean, there's a lot of fluff around that word, but, you know, at the crux of it, grow to actually really like ourselves and love ourselves. I guess what what tips or advice could you give around that, around building a better relationship with ourselves? Look, I think that's a really hard question to answer because it's very different for for every individual out there, things that make me really happy and I can I can tell that I'm more productive than not when I'm doing them is, for example, exercise. Um, I could tell you that I try and meditate every day and I try and write in my gratitude journal and when I do, that's awesome. But for me, simply going for a small run clears my headspace like nothing else. I need sleep and I've tried to sometimes go off four and five hours a night and I just know that I am not my most productive self when that happens. I am an eight hour a night kind of gal and, you know, As my employees <laughs> and my, oh, you need it. Um, <laughs> need I'm it. just a happier person to everyone and far more productive. And so I think it's really realizing what these small hacks are um, and just trying not to fight them. So I know that if I'm incredibly stressed, if I go for a run, I will deal with things tenfold better. And so I think it's just pinpointing the two or three habits that make you more efficient and, you know, optimize your workflow better. Um, But for me, I would say sleep and sleep and exercise, which I should probably take my own advice because I'm not doing great at either of those. But I I actually, back to the the gratitude journal, I have started doing um, this really small habit. And a friend taught me that I have a spreadsheet and on the left-hand column, it has today's date. And then up the top, it says, I am grateful for, and then there are three columns. And then today will be great if, three columns, and then I am and three columns. And so while I would love to tell you that I do this every day, I do not because I actually did it for the first time in two months yesterday. It feels great. And to be able to, and I love that it's in a spreadsheet because you can actually go back and look on the 19th of March, you felt X and you were grateful for Y. And so it's quite beautiful to have that rolling rolling calendar. But that is a, that's a really nice habit for self-love. I love that. I think it's just exactly how you put it. It's coming up with these little rituals and daily routine, things that we can slot into our daily routine that, that actually really make the difference. Okay. Well, I think I want to move a bit further on to kind of your role at, at Notch, I think it was. But before I do, I think what I find fascinating about you, Lara, is it's just your amazing energy. You know, even you you guys can't see her, you can only hear her, but um, we're just kind of over a, a call at the moment. And, and just, I think you're, it's almost that positivity that just kind of shines around you. Do you think that, that was developed? Do you think, have, do you think you've always been that way? And I guess if not, how did you develop it? And do you think that we can develop positivity or I guess a lighter energy to go around and do our lives with? Yeah, that's a phenomenal question. And thank you so much. What a compliment. Um, I wish we were doing this over a glass of wine and you oh, and I could probably have five hours. Yeah. Um, but yes, to answer the question to begin with, I have always been a really positive person and in parallel, quite a solutions focused person. So if you can't get to where you're going, 
find the next route. And if you can't get, you know, if that route is going to block you, like there are 20 other ways to get there. And I think that's really important to to know. So if there are people listening and they didn't get into the degree they wanted to get to, or they've just been furloughed from a job, that is an okay thing. And there are going to be so many other opportunities out there. And I'm a big believer in timing as well. So yes, I think attitude is incredibly important and and kind of ties into being that yes person, but also knowing when to say yes. I think back to self-love, it's also really important to know when to say no, both to yourself, personally, professionally, when to push back on a boss. But to answer your question, yes, you can absolutely increase your energy and positivity. But it's, yeah, it's, you know, it's a long-term relationship you have with yourself. So, yeah. How do you think that's lended to, I guess, how you've progressed? So if we dive into that time where you got this amazing role at Knot, I think you were initially VP of communications and then you headed into the senior vice president of communications at this tech I think it's a tech startup in New York, you know, how do you think your positivity and I guess the way you showed up lended to how you performed in, performed in that role? Mm. So yes, Notch is or was a tech startup. I have no idea how you categorize companies from startup to not startup. I mean, I think people are still calling Uber and Airbnb tech startups. I'm like, no, no, no. These are multi-billion dollar listed companies. <laughs> Um, but yes, yeah, so I joined Notch in 2016. I was the first or one of the one of the first or second non-technical hires. So Notch is a content marketing data analytics company. So essentially what they do is they measure content marketing for some of the biggest brands in the world. So the AT&Ts and the JP Morgans and big insurance and automotive type companies. And there are these really big retainers. So I joined as their eighth employee. And first of all, when you join a company um, that is that small, founders acknowledge and are quite grateful for you wanting to join this crazy mission of theirs. Because a lot of the time people are joining, you know, these small companies with a little bit of funding, but you need to really respect and agree and and be bought into this massive mission of this founder, which is a which is a crazy thing, uh, because it's almost like a marriage that you're entering into. And so, when I joined, I wholeheartedly believed that they wanted to disrupt measurement in the digital advertising space. They're wonderful people, and they had money behind the company. So it's kind of they're the three boxes that you want to want to tick. And so I yes, joined as VP of communications. And we did some really, really great things in the beginning with not a lot. We were incredibly scrappy. And I think that is is key as well, just for whether you work at a Fortune 500 company or you still want to have a scrap, scrappy mentality, like that money is your own and you want it to go further. And so having a great relationship with the founders. So Andrew and Aaron, and we're still amazing, amazing friends. And I think that's another thing. You need friendship for people that are joining your crazy mission because a lot of a lot of startups fail. But I think that positivity is, is really important in business for a few things. A, and probably the most important thing is hiring. So not only was I crazy enough to join their mission when I was hiring for people in my team, they were crazy enough to be bought into my mission for the greater mission. And so I think that's a really important thing. I think the other thing, and all companies are really hard, but with startups, you know, you don't want to be a statistic that that company fails. And so you turn into a yes person with 
partnerships and, you know, new customers and you are constantly trying to hustle to bring in revenue and brand perception and whatever your your goals may be. And so I was at Notch for just shy of four years and and quickly uh, uh, became the SVP of communications and marketing there. It's so amazing. And it's just so true. Like, you know, I think, I mean, now, and we'll get into, I can't wait to get into publicists, but, you know, with your own company now, and for those of us, you know, who are listening, who do run, or we run divisions, or we run our own businesses, or we're looking to, you know, we're interested in this space. It really is like that. It really is a family. And I think it's, it's just, you put it so well around, it's almost, like you're so grateful that these people want to join on your crazy journey and crazy vision and whatnot. So I love that. Amazing. So let's get into publicist. So, you know, you did Westfield initially, you went into Notch, you grew so much there, you know, and then early last year, you said you'd been working on not on your own company for a year kind of where did the idea for publicists come about? Um, what compelled you to go all in? Talk to us about the early days. So as I mentioned, I've now been in the industry for about 10 years. Yeah, 10 years now. And so I've been on a few different sides of it from agency to then much larger enterprise. I was at a company called Archetypes before Notch, so led marketing for a beauty company and then uh, Notch, which is a high growth startup. Um, And so being on multiple different sides of the industry, you see certain things, you see trends, you see things like advertising agencies aren't as prominent as they used to be. And, you know, they're much more project based. People are downsizing the the statements of work and the scopes of work. The way that people engage with journalists and, and publishers has changed dramatically. Budgets are completely increasing, but the way that people are spending these budgets have changed. And so one commonality that I realized from each different side of the industry that I was on was that it is really hard to hire for premium communications and marketing talent. You do it a few different ways. You can either hire an agency for, you know, a 12-month retainer. You can go through a recruiter, which again is a little time consuming, or it's, it's pretty much word of mouth. And so, in 2018, and I've got, you know, having lived overseas for quite a while, I've got a really great network between Australia and the US and the UK. And I had so many companies, both agencies, big companies, small companies saying, we need premium talent either tomorrow or in a month. Can you introduce me to 10 event planners in the UK or five community managers in San Francisco? And so I was happily introducing people that were in my network because you just do and like you know it's word of mouth but it got to a point that I was spending so much of my own time facilitating manual introductions because people knew that I was happy to and and the people that I was referring were always really premium that people would just continue to come back to me and so it was early 2018 and I started to do some research around what solutions are out there if I want to find premium vetted communications talent on demand and there really weren't a lot of solutions out there. And so you look to your horizontal marketplaces. So companies like Upwork and they are, you know, fantastic and really serve a purpose if you are looking for work and it doesn't matter where they are. So it could be legal work or engineering work, but a lot of the time with 
communications and marketing talent. You're looking for hyper-localized talent and hyper-experience. If it is investor relations, you can't see someone that is a corporate communications or crisis or whatever it is. You need that specific skill set. And so what I did while I was at Notch was I went to the founder and I said, hey, I have this idea. I'm going to build this company. I'm going to raise a lot of money and I'm probably going to leave soon. And this was just the relationship that we, we had. She's a, you know, still a great friend. And Anda said to me, she goes, love it. Think it's great, but take a step back. And what I think you should do is build what's called an MVP, which I'd never heard of this acronym at the time, which is a minimal viable product, which is essentially a beta product. So, and the idea is you bootstrap your MVP. So spend a little bit of your own money. You put it out into the world. If it works, if people like it, then you double down and then kind of do the first step that I was looking to do. Go all in, spend money, raise money, all of that. And so I had a agency build the MVP of publicist or the 1.0 and put it to market September of 2018. And it was very much just like, have my contacts use it, put it out into my network and their networks and just see how it goes. And so I still had a job at this point. So I was working for somebody else's startup. I was working at Notch, which was experiencing a really big level of growth at that stage, in addition to working on my own side hustle. And so we had the company, when I say we, I had the business in market for a year. I do that a lot. People are like, who's we? I'm like, yeah, me and me and the product. <laughs> me um, and the business. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I'm married to the business. Yeah. My, my partner. We, the product was in the, sorry, the platform was in market for a year when we realized we'd had a ton of traction and lots of freelancers were signing up and the freelancers that were signing up, the talent was incredibly premium. And so at this stage, I was manually vetting all of the talent to the platform and people were just using it. So how the platform worked at its core was you were able to post a project. So you could say, we're looking for a podcast marketing manager or a go-to-market strategist, and we want to spend X thousand dollars on the other side, freelancers could pitch on the on the work um, and everything happened within the platform. So from pitching to communication to payment integrations, milestones, everything. And so all of the workflow was managed on the platform. And so after a year in market, I then said, okay, we're going to do this for real, take a step back. And since then, we have... Um, I'm just about to close a round of fundraising, which is um, has been really interesting to do mid-pandemic, but have the most incredible investors involved. We built, so I now have a CTO and a small team and completely rebuilt the product um, that we put to a soft launch in March of this year. And then we, we were actually supposed to, to launch it in March and then we postponed to April and then we got it out to the world in May. So it's now been in market for just over two months in the US and launching uh, in the next couple of weeks in Australia. Oh, I just love it. It makes me so excited to hear kind of just from your idea, you know, that's what I think is so fascinating about this kind of work. It's just from this idea that you had, and obviously a lot of testing, a lot of hard work years, you know, it doesn't just, it's not like you just started this, you know, started this year. It it does actually take that long. And I just, yeah, I just love hearing about it. It's so cool. I think a question I've got for you is really around 
this idea of, you know, why start a company? You know, I think for you, you know, you were working at an amazing firm, amazing startup, high, really high growth. You were living the life in New York. You know, you, you were, you were, you made all the lists, you know, what was, where did the drive come to go? No, you know what? I actually want to step out on my own. And I guess if the, you know, for the, for our peers out there listening who are, maybe they feel like they want to, what would be kind of your, like, when, what would be your advice around actually taking the leap? So I think one of the most dangerous things you can do is start a company because you want to start a company because it is all of the things that they say. It is lonely. It is hard work. The blood, sweat, and tears are real. But I think the time to start a company is when you are so obsessed with solving a problem that's in front of you that you cannot go on until this problem is solved because you, I'm probably going to spend the next five to 10 plus years really trying to solve this problem. And I'm obsessed with it. And it's what keeps me up at night, but also what inspires me and completely fulfills me. So I think that um, for everyone listening that you know, has a has an interest in starting a company. I think you just need to take a step back and and figure out why, what it, what is the problem that's in front of you, and then are you the best person to solve it? If you're fifty percent yes, then find the fifty percent that can help you help you get there. Because I am a sole founder, but have taken a lot of advice and asked for a lot of help along the way, and then hired my weaknesses. You know, you want to be you want to be in a room with people much, much smarter than you. And I've been lucky enough to do that. I love that. It's just so key. When it comes to actually figuring out the thing that we care about, you know, you said you're just, you're obsessed, you know, I think so many of us think, I want to be really obsessed with, you know, where I, I want to figure out what my passion is. How do I not know this yet? You know, what, what advice or, or kind of tips would you give around figuring out kind of the thing or maybe the things that we actually really care about? You've listed a few points there that we can kind of break down. Now, I think that um, figuring out what you care about is, you know, some people can live their entire life and, and not understand and then definitely not have a company that aligns with those those goals or, you know, those purpose-driven things. And so if you can actually do both, that's a really wonderful thing to to find a company that kind of lives through the same goals and wants um, that you do. And then in figuring out uh, what you care about and if it makes sense to to start a company, I think you should look at your workflow that you have in front of you, what you do every day is there something in that workflow that you could make better or easier or that you really care about or something that really frustrates you that something is so manual and through the tech company lens, I think that's a really great place to start. What frustrates you to your core that you do not have that solution? And so I think that's always a really interesting place to start in figuring out what you care about. And then if you care about it so much, you can probably, you're probably the the right person to fix it. Oh, Lara, you and I could talk for for days. I just, I've loved hearing your story and I've got a couple last few questions for you as we start to wrap up. I I guess the first one is, what's your vision? You know, what's your vision for publicists? Where do you see it going? I know it's very early days, but you know, you have progressed so much even in the last year, year and a half. You know, talk to us about what you want publicists to become. Yeah. So 
the vision is so big. I can't even tell you. If you saw my product pipeline and roadmap, people would be like, are you kidding? But again, just so obsessed and there are so many things we can do. So my vision for Publicist is to be the platform where people hire for communications and marketing talent. I think that in the next few years, the next five years, we will see the agency model disrupted drastically. Um, I'm sure it will innovate, but I think it is agencies are trying to figure out where they fit in right now. Is it project-based? Is it more creative-focused? What that is. And so this year, we're opening up in three markets and next year will be many more. In addition to this, we have um, an enterprise solution that we're launching for much larger companies that has built-in software that we can start automating it automating workflows, but we really want to be the place that PR and marketing work happens. Oh, I love it. It's so, it's so cool. It's so exciting. Oh, so I guess a question which I always love to ask is, what do you believe has been your greatest failure personally or in your professional life on this entrepreneurial journey today? Or for you, I guess, even just on your last 10 years of being in the industry? So first of all, I think that I fail about 50 times a day as is. And you just need to, you just need to iterate completely. Or, you know, as I mentioned before, if, if you can't, if, you know, you can't get to goal A, you know, there'll be 25 other routes that you can take. In terms of what I think my biggest failure is, nothing specifically comes to mind probably just because there are so many, but I was always really challenged by um, the founder at Notch and small things like I would put together a, a proposal, a big marketing plan, and she would always force me to strive much, much bigger and often for things that were completely unattainable and unrealistic. But when you have that unrealistic vision in your mind, even falling short is an okay thing. And I think that sometimes when, and this is a total other category that we could talk about for a long time, but benchmarks and goals are really, really hard to qualify sometimes. And the reason being is if your boss says, you know, in the next six months, we want to increase goal X by 20%. If you increase it by 19%, that actually doesn't mean you failed. You have really improved. And so it's really hard to to track this qualitatively. And so I would say that while it's not answering your question of, have you failed? A lot of the times I would fail in not try to achieve enough um, and kind of try and push the boundaries. And even if you didn't succeed, you've stretched your goal much further than you would have doing things right, but with conservative aims and goals. How can we gain the confidence or the courage to stretch our goals? I mean, don't worry. There have been like lots of tears in bathrooms and it <laughs> it um, it doesn't come easy. But I think having a mentor can be a really amazing thing. Um, it can be a mentee-mentor relationship. Sometimes mentors can be younger than you or peers or family. But I think in having people to constantly just challenge you and check in on you. I think mentors have been really instrumental in my life and my career, not just professionally, but definitely personally. But I think it's amazing to almost have a coach that if you think that somebody is being unreasonable, um, they can check in on you and maybe they're not being unreasonable. You just need someone to kind of push you over that cliff a little bit. So that's probably a really good place to start. I love it. Oh, Lara. 
Wow. So look, over the last few years, you've received so much recognition for your amazing work. You know, you were listed on the Forbes 30 Under 30 list last year. You've been featured in numerous publications, including the including the Australian, Forbes, TechCrunch, for your amazing work, you know, previously and, and now also with publicist. So I guess what are the three key pieces of advice that you'd give to our peers out there listening that you wish you got when you just got started? The first piece of advice I would give is hire where you can to fill in your blanks. So recognize really quickly what you are not good at. And so I realized um, that I'm not great at financial spreadsheets. I tried to learn to code and realize it was a better use of my time to hire that than try to teach myself React and Python. So that's probably the first piece of advice. Actually understand what what you're not good at and recruit accordingly. I think the second piece of advice, and this kind of uh, ties into the first piece, is if you want to go far, bring a team with you. So if you, you know, have, and I probably, uh, when I started in 2018, I tried to do everything by myself and tried to keep this business almost not as a secret, but, um, and you're never going to go far by yourself. And it's really interesting as a sole founder to to recognize that. But I have the most brilliant advisors and investors and um, and now team that I can lean on for, for a multitude of different things. So I would say that that's probably the second. And then the third ties back to what we were talking about before and, and self-love and being really happy with yourself. Because at the end of the day, we are all that we have. And if you are trying to get a promotion or do a degree that you don't necessarily want to do, but somebody is in your ear saying you should be a doctor or a lawyer, but you want to be a whatever it is, a you know bus driver or philanthropist, you have to do that. And you need to actually live through the lens of, of purpose and what you want to do because you'll never be happy otherwise. And so I think that I've been really lucky enough to find that I've found the problem that I want to solve and I am also feel very grateful that as our society is going through so much right now and 2020 has been a really tumultuous year in so many different ways that we can build a culture that is purpose-driven and diverse and we are I feel very very lucky that we're at the beginning of a big journey and we can really impact change from the beginning so they're probably the three very long-winded pieces of advice that I would give. I love it. It was so well said. Amazing. Look, Lara, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you for the incredible work you've done and that you're doing, you know, for showing us, especially us females, you know, that that we can chase our dreams, that we can go out there and make an impact and and move cities and figure it all out. And although it may not be perfect, you know, it it can happen. So for that, we really appreciate you. Yeah, absolutely. You just have to think, what is the worst thing that happens? Like, what's the worst thing that can happen? You know, you lose your job, you find another one, you, your visa get ca- gets cancelled, you move home. And it's when you always think about what is the worst thing that can happen, usually it's not that bad. And so I think having that to fuel us makes us go further. I love it. The final question is how we finish every episode here at The Peers Project. And that is... What is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? Oh, I think we've just spent 45 minutes talking about that. <laughs> I think <laughs> I, I love that that's kind of like the wrap up of this conversation. I think it's everything. I think it is the best thing you can do for your 
mental well-being and it is the best thing you can do to go further. I mean, I doubt that there are many CEOs that absolutely hate their jobs. Like I just, maybe if it's their company and they want out, but you don't live and breathe like a long career if you really dislike what you are doing. So I think the earlier you can find that out, and sometimes it's worth taking a break, you know, quit your job, transfer your degree, you know, take a take a holiday. But I think figuring that, that out and leaning on people and resources and books and podcasts, and um, I think we're so lucky to be in 2020 when we have all of these resources at our fingertips. So, yeah. I love it. Amazing. Lara, ladies and gentlemen, where can we people learn more about you and Publicist? Yeah. So Publicist is publicist.co. Sign up as a, as a client, as a freelancer. Don't just come and check out our blog, but you can find us and, and contact me there. Amazing. Well, thanks so much, Lara. We've had a blast. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Peers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or any app where podcasts are played and leave us a review. We produce with passion and it doesn't stop here to see what else we're up to visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on instagram at thepeersproject we'll have fresh real talk for you next week peers until then if you need inspiration look amongst your peers <laughs>